Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our May 6th, 2010 edition of the show. 4.07 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. And uh, before we uh, get fully underway, i got a couple of quick reminders for you. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash R.G. Larson. Some astute observers may have noticed that the Bush family, beyond the 20 years occupying the presidency or vice presidency, have have been deeply a part of the U.S. levers of power for much longer. What even fewer have been able to pick up on is that George Herbert Walker Bush's short stint as CIA director is a deceptive tip of the iceberg when compared to the family's extensive and hidden involvement with American intelligence. And that involvement seems to disturbingly tie this family to some of the darkest chapters in our nation's history. All of this is masterfully documented in a shocking book called Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. The author, Russ Baker, is a top-level award-winning investigative journalist whose work has appeared in the L.A. Times, the Washington Post, the New Yorker, Vanity Fair, the New York Times, The Nation, The Village Voice, and Esquire. Russ is our uh, special guest today. Russ Baker, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Robert. Good to be here. Uh, it's it's great to have you. I have been uh, really blown away by this book. I've heard some of these things before. A lot of it I had not heard before, and just the way it's all brought together is uh, it's it, it's really powerful. Um, I mean, th- this is a serious piece of research. We're talking uh, 500 pages plus another 60 of footnotes, and I believe you spent about five years researching it. That's right. Yeah, so did, did you set about to do something so ambitious, or were you just trying to figure out some basics of how the uh, George W. Bush presidency came to be? You know, this was not, uh, was not and is not a polemic. Uh, in fact, it wasn't even uh, where I was trying to get across something. I do most of my work as uh, open-minded inquiries into things that perplex me. And I was just perplexed by George W. Bush himself and by uh, the events that unfolded uh, deliberately and otherwise during his eight years in office. And so back in 2004, I began just trying to understand if there was some uh, deeper narrative, some more profound analysis that could undergird these, you know, rather traumatic uh, and seminal events that we were witnessing. Um, I didn't know that there would be something there, but I've always gone on my hunches, and I, um, I have almost always found that there was more to the story than what we were getting from conventional uh, historians and from the conventional media. And <laughs> I must say, in this case, it turned out to be no exception. Yeah, it, one of the the 
you know, one of the overarching conclusions you seem to come to in your book is that, you know, let's just get right into it, is that there is a, a military industrial intelligence elite sort of shadow government power clique that sort of transcends the changing of U.S. administrations and that the, the Bush family has been part of this for some time. The Bushes, however, were not content with the uh, working in the shadows and wanted to hold public office. And this necessitated uh, creating alter narratives about who they were. So do I have that about right? Yeah, I mean, here, here's the context, because, you know, when, when we begin to discuss a subject like this, the first reaction, or, or I would say when one hears something, like it, one's first reaction is a kind of wariness, which I understand, which is like, boy, I don't know, this kind of sounds a little bit out there. I mean, you know, I mean, are, are you saying there's, there are really major things that we don't know about our own country? That just doesn't sound right. How could that be with so many books written, so many journalists, so many inquiries? But, you know, let, let's start with this notion. We know that uh, the United States operating largely at the behest of major corporations has interfered all over the world for a very long time in uh, the affairs of other countries, uh, in many cases undermining or even removing democratically elected leaders. This is just an established fact. That's not in dispute. The only question is, do any of those kind of uh, impulses manifest themselves in our own country? And the general uh, narrative is no. Uh, th uh, we know that these things are done elsewhere, but we just don't do them here. They're just not done here. And, uh, of course, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because it, it is in the United States that the stakes are the highest. Whatever most of these companies have interests they have in, in Chile or Cuba or something, they have much greater interest in the United States. And who runs the country and what sort of policies they carry out are of profound significance. So that's just a kind of a logical issue. Uh, but uh, the other thing is that um, if you go back and you look at presidents, uh, FDR, uh, there, were, there was an attempted coup in this country. Most people don't know about it, but it's documented. There were uh, hearings before Congress about it uh, that were subsequently hushed up in most uh, histories, but you can find about it. Uh, there, uh, uh, President Eisenhower, himself a military man, made a speech about the military-industrial complex. He was warning about something. He was a little bit elliptical in what he was really talking about, but there was something that was so grave that he felt he needed to issue uh, a partially cloaked but still very powerful warning as he left office. Harry Truman, uh, one month to the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, he penned a very interesting op-ed piece that ran in the Washington Post and then subsequently disappeared from uh, later editions of the same paper in which he talked about the CIA and he said that when he had signed the legislation creating it he had not intended for it to get into these areas that had gotten into he specifically was upset about the covert operations which were never intended to be part of its mandate and so he was basically signaling that the CIA was out of control and for some reason he wanted us to know this 30 days precisely to the day of the assassination of John F. Kennedy so there were 
all of these undercurrents there. And, and really what I do with Family of Secrets is I go back. I, I started by just looking at the Bush family, but as I looked at them, I discovered this alternative narrative, as you point out, uh, to their own lives, to the lives of uh, George W. Bush, his father, George H.W. Bush, the grandfather, Prescott Bush, the great-grandfather, and on and on, uh, as basically servants uh, and, and accomplices, really, for these very, very powerful families that have shaped so much of American history in ways we do and do not know about. Yeah, so there, there, a lot of this is out there, and people, I, I've always felt, were just really uh, afraid to look at this, and there's this sort of kind of de- uh, denial about it, and that, that you, you know, you rattle off a, a bunch of these things that are not in any dispute by historians, things that everybody knows were said or done, and everybody was afraid to sort of, you know, even attempt to kind of connect those dots and to say that there was something more going on and that all of these nasty things that our intelligence services and uh, related entities do around the world could possibly be going on here at home, have any bearing on, on events here in the U.S. So, so this brings me to the, you know, the sort of granddaddy, the, the, the big dark chapter in, in our history. Uh, that that I'd like to talk about that you go into in some uh, depth in the book, and this, of course, is the uh, JFK assassination. Be- before reading your book, I, I had heard that uh, George Herbert Walker Bush had absurdly claimed that he couldn't remember where he was when the president was shot. And when you put that in the book in context with other facts and a stunning web of connections... It paints a disturbing cloud of suspicion around our 41st uh, president. Uh, could you talk about that a little? Sure. Well, l- let's, let's begin with this. Family of Secrets is uh, about the family, and it's about their secrets, and it's about the secrets of the American family. So, uh, yes, these pieces are out there in our larger family, uh, but really what I did was I just started trying to understand first how George, I just wanted to step back and then, then mm-hmm. move forward again to the Kennedy question. How did George W. Bush, somebody as improbable as him, just to begin with that, the, the, the lack of qualifications, of, of skills and so forth, how did he become president and why did he become president and why did this extraordinary collection of very, very powerful of individuals want him to be president and then to be reelected. Uh, and then um, once I started looking into that and discovered, and there are many, many chapters of new things about George W. Bush, which began to raise questions about him and his past and things he had done that he clearly did not want to be known, which actually make him out to be a much more interesting figure than the sort of ingrate you know, that he's always characterized as. Uh, so that's interesting. And then I began looking at his father because I discovered a particularly close relationship between the father and the son, much closer than they seem to have wanted people to know. Uh, and, and their activities in conjunction with each other often involve what would be sort of loosely described as domestic covert operations, uh, both for in the interest of the family and the interest of, of seemingly other things. Uh, and so this led me to look at the father. And then I began wondering, well, how did the father become president of the United States? Uh, 
he, you know, he was vice president, he was president, he, Nixon appointed him to all the succession of positions that put him in a position uh, to be uh, a major figure on the political scene. So I began looking at the father, and as I began looking at the father, I discovered that he actually had what was what amounted to basically a secret life. And so much of Family of Secrets is about George H.W. Bush's secret life. Uh, what I discovered was that uh, very early on in his life, he became involved with intelligence work, and this predated his involvement uh, as CIA director. He was meant, Everybody knows he was CIA director in 1976 for a single year, but if you read all accounts of the books and the articles, it was all that he was a former congressman and oil man uh, who was appointed as head of the CIA because they were looking to put a fresh face on it during a period where the agency was under maximum scrutiny for improprieties, illegalities, and more. Uh, but what I discovered was that actually he wasn't put in because he was uh, inexperienced. He was put in because he was experienced and that he had had a secret life. The, the, the information that I lay out in Family of Secrets suggests that he was involved in intelligence work for decades prior to that. And, of course, that's quite stunning in and of itself, the notion that we elected as President of the United States a man who uh, was really a cipher, a man who had a secret life, kind of our Vladimir Putin, if you will. Uh, and that's very interesting and I think potentially very disturbing that really a person who was secretly working for this clandestine agency all those years uh, uh, became president without our knowing that background. So I started looking at that, and as I began looking at what he was doing year after year, I too became interested in that story that he couldn't remember where he was November 22. Uh, as a documented family of secrets, he was already involved in using his oil company as a cover for intelligence operations. They put a rig uh, off of Cuba uh, in the period prior to the Bay of Pigs invasion. He was connected to all these anti-Castro Cubans and so forth. And so I focused on 63, and I just decided I'm going to figure out why he can't remember where he was. And so what we have in Family of Secrets is four chapters of all new factual material, not in dispute, but never before related at least most of it never before related and never report related in this particular way and with this particular narrative, uh, establishing where he was, his connections to a number of figures, uh, doing very interesting things related to Lee Harvey Oswald, related to uh, the parade route, related to who was in the lead car, related to communications that day. It's a whole new narrative. And I have to say, I'm a guy who was okay with the idea that Oswald did it, did it alone, so this was all new to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so I, I, <laughs> I have friends on both sides of that people that were were like that. It just yeah, Oswald Lone Killer, uh, and then people that had read up all of these uh, different uh, uh, conspiracy theories, if you will. And uh, you know, so you, you're kind of finding that there's a lot of questions there, at the very least. That um, at the very least a bizarre number of coincidences relating to a lot of people, certainly to George Herbert Walker Bush, and, and with all the people he knew that somehow had some connection with what happened that day. And, uh, I mean, I give you credit for not saying, well, therefore we know that he did this, but you're, you're just putting, putting this all out there, and that this, uh, w what we really need to do is investigate this further. Well, that's right. In fact, there are so many of these facts in there. I mean, not even just a handful and not even just dozens. There are literally scores, maybe even hundreds of new facts in Family of Secrets that, that 
are themselves so interesting, even taken alone. For example, uh, uh, the mere fact that he says he can't remember where he was that day, and it turns out that he was a close friend of a man who was the closest friend of Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, that alone seems to negate his claim that he couldn't remember where he was that day because, of course, he would have uh, been interested in that day. At least years later, he would have been interested in it. And he, and he knew that uh, his friend was called before the Warren Commission and was grilled extensively about his relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald, yet he never mentioned that. And tell us about the phone call that he... That he made that well, yes, yes. And then there are all these other peculiarities. We know from declassified FBI documents, not CIA, but FBI documents, that Mr. Bush did a couple of interesting things on November 22, 1963. Uh, and, um, by the way, the, the, the Oswald connection, there's one entire chapter in Family of Secrets just on that. There's another chapter which goes into one of these documents relating to a phone call. Uh, on November 22, uh, uh, Mr. Bush called the FBI right around the time, 1.45 p.m., that they were announcing Kennedy's uh, death. He called the FBI, and he said, hey, I'm, 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 and he identified himself, I'm an oilman, and uh, I happen to be in this small town, uh, it was a town about uh, 40 miles from Dallas or so, and he said, I'm calling to be helpful in the investigation. I may have some tip on, on who could have been involved with the assassination. Now, irrespective of any more than, than that, the mere fact, again, that he says he can't remember. So now we have a man, he's a close friend of a guy connected to Oswald, can't remember where he was that day. He makes a phone call to the FBI that day and can't remember where he was that day. Uh, and in the phone call, he offers this story, which I go into very elaborately, about a man who may have been involved. Well, the man wasn't involved, and it's pretty clear that he knew the man wasn't involved because he actually knew the man much better than he let on. And as I point out in this, I think it's kind of a remarkable uh, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of chase story. You, you see uh, that that at the very moment that he's calling, saying, "I don't know much about this man, but you ought to check him out." His own, Mr. Bush's own assistant, is at the man's house, uh, transacting yeah. business with him, and 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 Bush's assistant becomes the man's alibi. So they've got this kind of, it, it's like an alibi circle. You know, the the phone call itself positions Bush in this town outside of Dallas at the time that the investigation is commencing. It positions him as, on paper, being helpful in trying to get to the bottom of things. And then at the same time, the man who's his alibi, uh, the, the phone call about this tip, that man gets cleared by his own assistant. Yeah, that is, is truly uh, astonishing. And I will say, uh, those of you listening to the show here, there is that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more in these chapters about uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and uh, what happened in uh, Dallas in November of 63 and all these connections. So, I mean, we could spend the whole show just talking about that, but I uh, just want to put that out there. This is Robert Larson, Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine, speaking today with Russ Baker. We're talking about his book, Family of Secrets. The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. And, Russ, you also have a website uh, where uh, people can help you out with ongoing research, and uh, that's whowhatwhy.com, uh, is that it? Whowhatwhy.com. Those are the three questions that uh, we feel are the most important in journalism. Who, what, why is a nonprofit uh, launched uh, gradually over the last couple of years, but really just getting going recently, we're trying to do important, 
deep investigative journalism about the biggest and most pressing issues facing our country and our world now. We're trying to go to a level that we don't see other people going to, asking the questions of who's pulling the strings, who's calling the shots, who gains uh, when all the rest of us lose. And so you might say it's a continuation of the kind of uh, deep research that I did in Family of Secrets. So Who, What, Why uh, is an ongoing venture, and we definitely invite people to, to get involved, to support us. Um, we, we don't take ads. We don't get any money from corporations. It's all about uh, serving the public interest and being backed by the public. Okay, who, what, why, dot com. And uh, yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Nixon. You brought him up a little earlier, and uh, th- those chapters about Nixon were utterly fascinating. And uh, Nixon, uh, the relationship with the Bushes, is, I, relative, I, I didn't know any of this before reading the book. But uh, and, and Nixon also seems the perfect example of that sort of joke, uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. In uh, You posit that the, the Bush clan and their web of intelligence connections were very likely behind uh, bringing Nixon down through uh, Watergate and other uh, endeavors. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the other things in the book, that if I were to be, let's say, at a cocktail party and just mention these sorts of conclusions, people would just snort with derision, and, and so would I, frankly. Uh, uh, just as I had been okay with the idea that I had no idea what the story was on the Kennedy assassination, and that perhaps Lee Harvey Oswald did it and acted alone, uh, I, you know, uh, even as a journalist, uh, uh, you know, working in covering, you know, political things for a couple of decades, uh, uh, with the Nixon thing, I accepted the conventional story that's the Woodward and Bernstein narrative, uh, John Dean and so forth, that, that Nixon was essentially out of control and, and working through these various henchmen. Uh, he was uh, doing all these uh, things against his enemies that uh, put the country into a grave crisis. And that's really what I understood to be the case, because that's that's what we are told. But again, simply following this this this, this uh, trail about the Bushes, who were they and how did they get where they were, and trying to understand how George H.W. Bush came to power, I began to focus on his relationship with Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was indeed uh, uh, mistrustful or distrustful of many of the people around him, and whenever he could, he would make changes. And so we saw him basically firing his cabinet en masse. But the one person he kept was George H.W. Bush, and in fact, he promoted him. So here's a fellow who had no foreign qual- uh, uh, policy credentials, yet he appoints him as the ambassador to the United Nations at a at a very sensitive moment in international affairs. And his explanation to his own people is, well, you know, it gives Bush a chance. He needs these credentials. Now you're thinking, well, why would Nixon care what credentials Bush needs? And that struck me as strange. And then uh, at the height of Watergate, when he really needed somebody who was a loyalist and somebody he could trust at the helm of the RNC, the Republican National Committee, he appoints Bush to that. And so I wondered again, well, okay, I already know that Bush has the secret pass with the CIA, and I now I'm wondering, well, what is he doing, and what is the CIA's position on Nixon? So then I start thinking, well, we know that the CIA shows up because the Watergate burglars all 
happened to have CIA connections. And the burglary itself looked to be some sort of a CIA operation. So I thought, well, what was Bush's involvement with that? Well, he was over at the RNC and didn't seem to be involved. But as I began assembling details, I started finding connections between him and all these figures in the White House, uh, other activities that were then blamed on Nixon. And I began to start scrutinizing the Nixon tapes. And I began to see that Nixon didn't seem to be really involved in any of these things that, that ended up causing him so much trouble. Um, and so then I, 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 I focused on what was the origin of the relationship between Nixon and George Bush? Why did he feel that he needed to keep him close uh, and to give him all these opportunities. And as you know from reading Family of Secrets, I take a chapter and I go back to the very beginnings of their relationship. And it dates all the way to the 1940s, to the very beginning of Nixon's political career. And this you will not find in any of those dozens or scores of books all about Richard Nixon and his life, about the Bushes. None of this is in there. Richard Nixon got his start because some bankers on the East Coast wanted to take out a Democrat in Whittier, California, who was investigating Wall Street, the insurance companies, and everything else. He basically was a kind of a uh, an earlier version of Henry Waxman, the congressman yeah. from Los Angeles, who is the guy who single-handedly brings out all these reforms by, by calling for hearings. And so this guy, Jerry Voorhees of Whittier, was something like that. And he was a problem. And I, I actually document in Family of Secrets the, the letters, the diaries, and things. And you can see that, that the bankers are upset with Voorhees. You can see that Prescott Bush, uh, the grandfather of George W., the father of George H.W., involved with a company, uh, with a banking firm, and involved with uh, with uh, defense contracting is out in Whittier right at the time, uh, taking over a company based in that area, doing business with the Chandler family uh, of the Los Angeles Times, who were known to be key backers of Richard Nixon early on, uh, and and rooting around for a candidate to run against Voorhees, and and that candidate turned out to be Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was basically beholden from the beginning to these very wealthy patrician Eastern interests. And that, I believe, is the real story of the resentment that he always expressed about elites. But it was always interpreted that he was referring to liberal elites, but, but it now appears he wasn't. He was referring to these, to these uh, conservative establishment Republican bankers that really owned him. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating twist there. And uh, once... Nixon becomes president, then uh, it, what you sort of uh, allude to in the book here is that he is, to a degree, doing the bidding of these people who helped to bring him there, but at a certain point, not completely in uh, going along with their program, uh, a few different things. You mentioned that there somebody was pushing for him to have... Uh, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush as his running mate, I think, in 72, and he didn't go for that. And then there was some other kind of appointment that, that Poppy Bush had wanted that Nixon, although he did bestow many appointments on him, there was another one, I think, that he wanted but didn't get. And then there was this other issue of um, the oil depletion allowance that uh, the Bush crowd and the oil barons and the, the bank bankers and all these people were, you know, really like this oil depletion allowance, and Nixon seemed to want to uh, uh, not be fully in support of that. Are, are those the factors that seem to bring this crowd against Nixon? Well, 
Well, what was happening was, you see, the reason this, this, what may sound to some people like ancient history is so relevant, uh, and the reason I was so excited to actually see Family of Secrets get some uh, presence in bookstores around the country and, and at least be, uh, be uh, entertained by courageous hosts such as yourself, because a lot of the uh, mainstream shows uh, told me privately that they were scared of this stuff, that this was just too jarring and that it could cause them professional problems. But in any case, the reason this is so important is because this is about a constant state of affairs in this country. This is about the idea that presidents don't do what they want, that people don't become president, that they don't become nominees, that they don't move up, that they don't raise these huge sums of money, if they are not at least partially beholden to these interests that we don't focus on enough. And so this is very much the case here, that Richard Nixon turns out to be like a lot of these other people, that he was someone that these powerful people behind the scenes were controlling, were trying to control, that he was struggling, uh, as I think many of these people do, to both keep them satisfied, uh, protect his flank, and at the same time do what he wanted to do. And that's a very, very difficult game. And I think it's totally relevant to Barack Obama. Uh, that is very, very difficult to, to, to serve those masters and also to serve the public. And, and Richard Nixon, it turns out, when we begin to look very carefully at his record as president, despite the things that, that will always uh, uh, haunt him politically, such as the bombing of Cambodia and what have you, that, in fact, once he became president, he was trying to uh, basically... Uh, shed these other interests, and he began trying to find a way to insulate himself. He knew this was dangerous. He understood that. Uh, but he tried, nevertheless, to do that. He tried to do that with Kissinger by having very secret negotiations, cutting the Pentagon and the defense contractors and the CIA out of the loop, uh, trying to uh, create his own legacy by making peace with America's enemies. Um, he also... Uh, signed a great deal of progressive legislation, uh, particularly on the environment, on the workplace, and some other areas. And he really did resist, as I document in Family of Secrets, he did resist many of these industries up to a point. It was a dangerous and tricky game he was playing. And I think that the evidence in Family of Secrets shows that Right from the beginning, as soon as he got in the White House, these powerful interests began looking at him and saying, boy, you know, this guy is too independent. Uh, as you point out, but it wasn't 72, it was 68, when he was uh, becoming president, when he was uh, being nominated for president, there was a tremendous amount of pressure on him to put George H.W. Bush on the ticket. And this was George H.W. Bush was almost a complete unknown. He'd been a fre- freshman member of the House of Representatives. He would have been a very odd choice. But we see this letter writing campaign from some of the most powerful corporations in America telling Nixon, put this guy on the ticket. And I have to tell you that that the whole Kennedy assassination thing, I think, weighed on Nixon's mind, and he was very aware that if you are president uh, and the vice president is somebody who powerful interests prefer, uh, that's putting you at risk. And by the way, another interesting thing in, in Family of Secrets is the story of how Richard Nixon ended up in Dallas on November 22, 1963, what he was doing there and how he reacted upon learning that Kennedy had been killed that day. Yeah, that is actually very uh, haunting, and it, it appears that some of these same interests sort of made sure Nixon was there that day and uh, making him 
look suspicious, having this taint over him. And uh, then uh, there's a not well-publicized account that you have in the book of, of Nixon's reaction when he found out uh, about the assassination. Uh, he was very shook up. I he, mean, was, he was traumatized because, you see, the first thing that would have gone through his mind was, uh, my God, uh, presidents get killed. Uh, despite all this vaunted, you know, security. The second thing that would occur to him was that uh, the man who had just been killed, I mean, you know, if you talked about people who people might have thought wanted Kennedy dead, who, who, would, who would come to mind more than the man that Kennedy had just beaten uh, in an election that many people felt was stolen? And mm-hmm. so, third of all, he, he, it would have occurred to him, he would have said, gee, what, what was I doing in Dallas that day? And there's this whole backstory where he was, he was brought to Dallas by very powerful interests, again, connected to corporations uh, and to the CIA and to the Bushes. And it would have occurred to him that a great effort was made to convince him to go there and to be there that that day, and so he got a message, and I think that when he, uh, as he went through politics after 1963, this occurred to him that there were these interests. And by the way, when he became president of the United States, he seemed to become obsessed with that period, and he started trying to get the CIA to give him files related to Kennedy, related to the Bay of Pigs, perhaps related to the assassination itself, and they wouldn't give him those files. And so that's another sub area of many in Family of Secrets is about the. Struggle, which has never been publicized between Nixon uh, and Richard Helms at the CIA, and of course Helms had been the head of counter, uh, the head of covert operations at the time of the assassination. Yeah, so it it we know you mentioned the '60 election, which was sort of traumatic, at least for Nixon, Nixon, because of very close defeat that many think was uh, stolen, and so Nixon and Kennedy sort of as enemies, uh, at least politically, and then but. Ultimately, it seems that they were both, uh, the CIA was the, the enemy of both of them, and, and they, uh, Nixon had real trouble with them, and obviously Kennedy did as well, firing Dulles, and then Dulles' uh, name uh, comes up uh, in connection to all these other characters, and Bush and everybody else, and Dallas that day. So the, these uh, connections are just really, uh, really fascinating, really uh, disturbing, and I, I just give you a lot of credit for uh, all the research you did on this. And the book is Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Uh, Russ Baker, the author, our guest today, and I'm Robert Larson. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. And uh, Russ, your your website again, that's uh, Who, What, Why. Anybody wants to get more involved in helping this research along? Well, whowhatwhy.com is, is not related to the book. It's our nonprofit. We are trying to raise money from ordinary people so that we can employ a staff of some of the best diggers in this country to continue looking at uh, causations behind uh, the major events of our time. And the reason I think, by the way, that Family of Secrets is very relevant now is it is a cautionary tale about our failure to scrutinize the real why, and that's, of course, the why we call it whowhatwhy.com, why things are really going on. Why really are we in Iraq? Why really are we in Afghanistan? Why really did the economic collapse happen? Uh, And why are not 
that many significant changes taking place. Why is it so difficult to get the kind of health care in this country that the vast majority, at least the, the informed majority certainly, uh, clamor for? Why do these things not happen? And this goes to the very heart of the question, how well does democracy actually function in America? And I think a lot of us can confuse a plethora of consumer choices and creature comforts with having a democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we have so many, you know, the, the, the ads always tell us, you've got choices. You've got this pizza or that pizza. You know, you've got this sneaker or that sneaker. You've got this, uh, uh, you know, phone or that phone. But there is very little focus on the fact that kind of no matter who you choose, whether it's Obama or Bush, you get Robert Gates as defense secretary. Mm-hmm. You get people connected to Goldman Sachs making policy in the government. Uh, you get very little substantive change on the major social and economic services provided by the government. Uh, you know, you get very little change in our stature in uh, in the Near East. Uh, and, and so these, you know, you get very little change in the fact that the United States spends this enormous percentage of its budget on military uh, activities uh, compared to every other country on Earth. We don't really discuss these things. If you look at the mainstream news coverage, it's always very, very narrow. General McChrystal, is his strategy working? You know, well, who is General McChrystal? Why is he there? Uh, what is his strategy really about, and what does working even mean? And these are the things we're interested in. This is what Who, What, Why is about. This is what Family of Secrets is about. And, and of course, I might point out that uh, uh, when we talk about the book, it is very easy to focus on the George H.W. Bush portion because it is so tantalizing. It's so otherworldly. I use the same phrase, I guess what you call your show, uh, down the rabbit hole. You know, it, it, it just, it's so surreal, and it, it just blew my mind when I was doing this research because I'm all about facts and documents. But, you know, amassing these thousands of facts and documents and saying, holy cow. But, you know, the George W. stuff is actually very, very interesting, too because he turns out to be a much more canny individual uh, who really actually had many more credentials, if you will, to be president, but they just happened to be credentials that he couldn't talk about. Right, and, and the, the narrative about him being uh, not too bright and not having a, a good relationship with his father are, are a little bit overplayed. Way overplayed. You see, this was another thing, was the writing of a false narrative and then the use of the media, wittingly or unwittingly, uh, and the use, the, you know, playing on kind of the tendencies uh, of the media and the public appetites were able to focus uh, people's attention on certain things they wanted to focus on. And as you know, Robert, in Family of Secrets, I have a chapter, for example, on, uh, on Bush's uh, religious uh, rebirth. Mm-hmm. And how what that was really about, how that was played, how that masterfully refocused attention away from his own background, his own past, uh, cleaned, uh, created a kind of a tabula rasa, a clean slate, uh, and then also packaged him for appeal to this very important and potent voting bloc of the fundamentalist and evangelical Christians. Uh, and so this, by the way, is part of a larger theme, which is the use of 
psychological methods, uh, the use of advertising and public relations techniques in the uh, intelligence community to shape public opinions all over the world. The, the, The same tactics that were used against the Soviets abroad, uh, used in the eastern uh, uh, nations in the battle for hearts and minds, used in Asia, have also been used, although not recognized, in our own country in a continuing battle to shape perceptions. And the rise of George W. Bush was sort of the triumph of all of these techniques. And we actually see uh, in one of the ch- later chapters in Family of Secrets, you actually see uh, somebody relating uh, how George W. Bush told him some of these techniques. That, for example, when you wanted to get something out in the media, you would pretend that you didn't want it out, and you would sort of what he called bury it in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, an anecdote that um, uh, a reporter would say, oh, this is embarrassing to Bush, let's get this out there. But actually it wasn't embarrassing to him. What it did was it distracted attention from a much more serious thing they didn't want you to look at. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I, yeah, for a while I've been... Uh, not totally buying into the the w uh narrative and that uh, there was a lot more going on with that guy and uh, you know and if you just look at everything that happened uh, there was a uh he was a president that got a lot accomplished not anything that most of us like but got a lot done and uh it's uh so, so anyway, we talked a lot about George Herbert Walker Bush, and you dropped it down a generation there, and we talked a little bit about W. If, if we could go, go back a generation, and, and I'd like to talk a little bit about Prescott, the, the grandfather, in, uh, who, who was a U.S. senator, who many people aren't even aware of that. And uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, and, and I, I, I got to talk about this, and um, that was the uh, the... 1933 uh, coup plot against the U.S. government that I have heard uh, Prescott Bush's uh, name mentioned in, in conjunction with that. Um, it's, I mean, it, it's really, to me, it's weird. Like, we have the assassination of Kennedy and the 2000 election, which have been described by some people as uh, as coups, that the uh, somebody who who wasn't supposed to really be president became president uh and and then uh you have this 1933 story about an actual plot for a real military coup to overthrow the government uh what do you know about that and about uh prescott's supposed involvement um, one of my concerns about the collapse of the traditional media is that uh, uh, one good thing was that it was it tended on the side of caution. Now it was reckless, often with uh, scandals. When 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 the media sensed momentum and public opinion very much going one direction, I think there was a recklessness. But in general, there is a kind of caution that doesn't exist on the internet where just anybody can post something. And unfortunately, this is a case of that. There was was in fact an effort to recruit General Smedley Butler, the great World War I hero, to lead a coup. Uh, that is documented. There is not, however, despite what it says on the Internet, that I have seen, and I've been to the National Archives looking at crucial materials, any direct evidence showing Prescott Bush being involved with that. There were figures on Wall Street. You, it is 
it is true that Prescott Bush loathed uh, uh, FDR and that the Bush family itself is very much dedicated, as are their sponsors, to rolling back the New Deal. And we saw that with George W., where he was uh, talking about privatizing Social Security and so forth. That was all related to that. But particularly on Prescott, no, no evidence of his being involved that I know of. Uh, but what is important here is what you just spoke of, the this kind of notion of, of sort of rolling coups. You know, this sort of thing takes place everywhere. And there are behind-the-scenes struggle going on right now with the elections in Britain that we don't see covered and we don't hear about. Uh, these, of course, we know these always go on uh, to our south in Latin America. Uh, but this goes on everywhere. And we need to be much more uh, skeptical when we see traumas facing presidents. And so, as you know, uh, in Family of Secrets, I've got a number of chapters about Watergate. I am told by people who have read it that it's fairly persuasive that, in fact, the Richard Nixon and Watergate was not about justice being done, but about a sort of a so-called silent coup to remove Richard Nixon, who was not playing ball with these interests. Uh, Truman was very much originally a creature of special interests. He tried to resist them a number of ways. Eisenhower was very much a creature of special interests. He tried to resist them a number of ways. John F. Kennedy, as I documented Family of Secrets and is becoming increasingly evident, also tried to buck these interests. We saw what happened to him. LBJ uh, was very much a creature of these interests. He played ball with them to a much greater extent. I think he, too, would have liked to buck them, uh, but uh, could not and did not. Uh, Gerald Ford was a creature of these interests. He was on the Warren Commission. There are fascinating links between future presidents and their roles in perpetuating the myths of the Kennedy assassination. Uh, Nixon, we've talked about. Carter tried to resist them. He was kept to being a one-term president. I talk about that in Family Secrets. Bill Clinton very much played ball with these guys on their biggest concerns, which were leaving the intelligence agencies alone, uh, really not messing too much with the military. The only thing we remember about Clinton and the military was don't ask, don't tell, yeah. uh, which, which, which the, uh, the, the military contractors didn't care about that. Uh, but at the same time, Bill Clinton was doing some other things, and, and it's very interesting to take a look at the Monica Lewinsky thing, which, by the way, again, was just treated as a, uh, another one of these so-called lone kook things, you know, uh, uh, a lone bimbet, you know. <laughs> uh, but there's no context on that. There's no understanding of what were the forces that propelled that story along, that uh, how did, you know, everything. How did she get into the White House? How did that all happen? Obviously, people knew that Bill Clinton had an appetite in that direction. But, you know, I, I remember uh, somebody who read my book, and he said to me, hey, do you know what the biggest is? A, a, a very well-connected person in Washington. He said, Russ, do you know what the most important industry in Washington is? And I thought, I said, uh, uh, lobbying. And he said, well, uh, not really. And I said, what? And he said, sexual blackmail. <laughs> Number one, that's what makes that town function. So, you know, we know that. Uh, historically, any former uh, high-level spy master will talk about the importance of the honeypot uh, throughout history. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just Mata Hari. And so I guess the, the, the thrust of what we're talking about here is that we don't get a very realistic sense of why anything happens. The biggest things that shape uh, our worlds and our civilization, we don't get it. We get these false or very, very inadequate narratives. Yeah, yeah. That, that it's, uh, I, I wanted to, uh, real quickly, if I could, uh, I, 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 because I brought it up, the whole uh, issue of of Prescott, 
uh, being possibly involved in that coup plot. That that uh, BBC radio documentary uh, that wasn't credible. That indicated that. No, but you you have to understand something. BBC is not a research organization. Yeah. They're a storytelling organization. This is a, you see, one of my objectives with Who, What, Why is to try to explain to the public how journalism really works. Because when you watch television programs and you hear radio programs, they do not generally, and there are a few exceptions, but they generally do not have extensive research staffs. Most documentaries you see, they don't have extensive research staffs. What they're doing is they are taking things that are in the public record, uh, and they are trying to tell a story from that. What I do and what the people that we hope to hire for who, what, why do is we try to find things that are missing. We try to, to find documents. We try to find sources who haven't spoken to before, who are afraid, who are hiding, and to find out what they know and to construct kind of like, like archaeologists or paleontologists a whole new understanding of things. And so the BBC, which I love, uh, which does very good spot news reporting, when they do things like that, that comes from things that they picked up elsewhere. Okay, just wanted to, because uh, we, we've talked about that on the show before, and I just wanted sure. to <laughs> to clarify that. I, I thank you As for... As I say, I love the BBC. They're very courageous in many respects. And they were right about the thrust of that. It's just that the aspect on Prescott, I have never seen any actual documents with his name on there, and I've never heard any actual testimony mentioning him. Not in that context. However, there is another story which is about the involvement of Prescott and his partners in the banking firm of Brown Brothers Harriman uh, in secretly protecting the assets of some of the key financiers of the Third Reich. And that is another and very important issue. And that, that is documented. And, that is, and Prescott was uh, charged with trading with the enemy? Not there, there were hearings into the role of their firm, and Prescott was one of the key people uh, whose names were uh, on the papers as a director of this firm that was fronting for the assets of this German industrialist, and there was an investigation uh, in Congress about trading with the enemy. None of those people were prosecuted, right. uh, but, but it is very clear that their firm was involved with fronting for these people and continuing to front for them when uh, the world was already at war. And so this was a very, very serious thing, and, and a secret, one of many, many secrets in Family of Secrets, <laughs> that the Bush family knew, uh, if they ever came out, that they simply could not stand for office. All right, Russ, we're out of time. I have got so many other things I'd love to ask you about, but I think we've uh, tantalized everybody and to wanting to run out and get the book. That's Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and The Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Russ Baker, uh, amazing job on the book, and uh, your website, whowhatwhy.com, uh, if they want to get involved in helping to push this type of journalism along. And... Uh, Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Robert. I enjoyed it. All right. Have a great day. You too. Okay, yes. That is uh, Russ Baker. And again, that book is Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Uh, <laughs> this is full of uh, dynamite. Do uh, check it out. And uh, we uh, have got... Um, uh, Matt Kaplan ready to go in just about uh, three uh, minutes here with uh, uh, 
Counterspin and Planetary Radio, as he does every uh, uh, Thursday after Out the Rabbit Hole. And, uh, yes, I'll repeat to you once more, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, you can email me at rglarson at org. Org. I'll be talking to you uh, next week. Leave you with some music here uh, from Towns Van Zant. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.